I love that line. I will follow you all of my days. The promise to God that even as you get old and as life draws to an end, you will not cease the intense pursuit of God. And I think that's a great way to sum up Abraham's life. Tonight we're going to say goodbye to our friend. We've been with him now for some time. And we're going to notice that he really did follow God all of his days. So be open in your Bibles to actually three chapters. The 23rd, 24th, and 25th chapter of Genesis. As we wrap up the life of this great man. Now I think no matter how old you are. You can be encouraged by the teaching tonight. But I'll just be honest. I think this teaching will especially Uh, have something to say for those of you, those of us who are older. And I consider myself among the older, and I'll tell you why. I'm already ready for summer to be over. (laughs) It is too hot. And that's a sign I think that I'm getting old. Someone sent me this recently, signs that you're getting too old to drive. If it takes more than four minutes to get out of your car... If when backing into a parking spot, you keep going until you hear a crunch. If it scares you to drive the speed limit. If you use cruise control because your leg fell asleep. Or if you use cruise control at 26 miles per hour, you're getting too old to drive. If you inquired if the dealership could install magnifying glass for your windshield, that's a bad sign. Or how many of us can relate to this? If your turn signal has been on since 2003... It's time to stop driving. Or if your bumper sticker says, I like Ike, you might want to give it up. You may need to stop driving at some point in your life, but you never need to stop pilgriming. The child of God lives by faith to the finish. We may run out of gas, but we never run out of hope. What do I mean by hope? Well, I believe when you look at Abraham's life, that to be hopeful is to never finish living by promise. Now, finishing faith is a hard concept for you to grasp tonight if you're young. If you're full of health and youth. Finishing faith is for those who have a lot of experience in aging And in increased frailty. And in mourning. Look with me at the first two verses of chapter 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Several things about those two verses are interesting to me. Number one, did you know that Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age is given? It tells you something about how important she is to the story of the people of God. Second, this is the first account of a funeral in the Bible. In fact, the entire chapter deals with Abraham's negotiation for a place to bury his wife. And the third thing that's interesting about this verse, it's the first mention in the Bible of somebody weeping. Now, that might surprise you. 
We've already now into 22 chapters of Genesis. And we didn't read about Abraham weeping when Lot left or when he sent Ishmael away. Or even when he was asked to put his son Isaac on the altar. But when Sarah dies, Abraham cries. Because to be spiritual does not mean you have to be stoical. Think about it. Abraham has loved this woman for over 100 years. And death can take her from his arms. But it can't take her from his heart. See, being a person of faith doesn't eliminate your emotions. It consecrates your emotions. But her passing is not just a time of sorrow. It is a time of testing. You see, her death creates a dilemma. For the recipients of the promises are beginning to die before the promises have been fulfilled. You see, if you're young tonight, let me just tell you what... I know and what some here know a lot better than me. And that is that just because you live longer doesn't mean the faith tests get easier. Living by promise is hard when suddenly dying is dominating the scene around you. When the people you have loved the longest and the most are getting older and sicker and passing. One of the great preachers of the last century was Dr. Carnell Marnie. Sometime around World War II, he was teaching at a seminary, and some of the young preacher students asked him his thoughts on the resurrection. He said he would not discuss it with them. And they were shocked, and they said, why not? And he said... I do not discuss such matters with anyone under 30 years of age. He said, look at you. You're in the prime of your life, full of talent and energy. Very few, if any of you, have ever experienced poverty, failure, defeat, heartbreak, or a brick that will stop you dead in your tracks. So tell me, what in God's name can any of you know of a dark, harsh world which only makes sense? If Christ is raised from the dead. Walking by faith doesn't get easier just because you get older. But I want you to notice how Abraham is going to model finishing faith. He's going to follow God all of his days. Three different ways he's going to show it. Number one, he's mindful of the promise by burying Sarah. Read with me. Same chapter, verse 3 and 4. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. And he said, I'm an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury My debt. Now, I'm not going to read all the chapter. What goes on next is a negotiation with the Hittites for a piece of land. And all the scholars agree that Abraham got ripped off. A man named Ephraim said, oh, you could just have it. But everyone knows that's just just a guise. They're negotiating. 
Abraham says, no, I'll pay a price for it. He says, well, it's worth 400 shekels of silver. There's no way it was worth that much money. Taking advantage of grieving people is not a new thing. But look at verse 16. Abraham agreed to Ephraim's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephraim's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field, the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field were deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. And afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. And you're thinking, why do we need to know all this? Why is this important? Grief is a form of testimony. Now, it can be good testimony or bad testimony. But the way you grieve does send a message. And the way that Abraham makes funeral arrangements speaks to his faith in two powerful ways. First, notice how he affirmed his intentionally distinct lifestyle. He comes to them. Now, he's lived here for a long time. But he says, I'm an alien and a stranger among you. Abraham was a good neighbor. But he was a bad accommodator. He never took on their dress. He never took on their lifestyle. He never took on their religion. He never took on their culture. He lived all those years like he was just visiting. Why? The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Notice, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, when he comes up to them and says, I'm a stranger and alien among you, it is a subtle reference to his true citizenship, which is why, secondly, notice he does not follow the long-established practice of taking your family back to where they're from to bury them. We do that today. People can die in a city where they've lived for years and years, but we take their body back to the family burial plot where they haven't lived for decades. And that was the custom of that day. But Abraham said, no, I want to bury Sarah here. You ever thought about this? That even though God promised Abraham the entire land... The only peace he actually ever owned was a burial plot. Why? It's the same reason he built all those altars all those years. It's the same reason that he planted that tamarisk tree. Abraham is claiming God's promise. 
Remember that God told him one time in a dream, your descendants are going to go away for 400 years. They're going to be slaves in a different country while I let the sins of the Amorites progress. But they're going to come back here. And they're going to get this land. So Abraham is claiming it. And these acts are symbolic pledges to his descendants that one day this will be their land. And they did inspire his descendants. Think about Joseph, his great-grandson, who would be down in Egypt. And before he died, Hebrews eleven twenty two. by faith, Joseph, when the end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites. An exodus that would be 400 years later. And he gave instructions about his bones. If you go back and read in Genesis 50, you see what those instructions are. Take me back to Canaan. Take me back to Machpelah. Take me back where my great grandpa is buried. Because that's home. So Abraham's grief didn't conceal his faith. It confirmed his faith. Because finishing faith declares that death doesn't bury the promises of God. He's mindful of the promises by burying Sarah. Second, by marrying Isaac. Because Sarah's passing also had a profound impact on her son. And Isaac goes into mourning too. And Abraham knows that what he needs is not another mother. What he needs is a wife. And again, he sees the problem through the lens of the promise. So look at the first seven verses of chapter 24. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh and I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not get a wife of my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant asked him, What if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. Now, stop just a second before we read the last verse. Think about this. Isaac's got to get married. The promise demands descendants. He's got one boy. He's 37 years old and he's not married. Isaac has got to get married. And Abraham says, don't you let him marry one of these Canaanite women. And don't you take him back to my country. That kind of limits your options. I got one option. To try to convince some woman to make this trip to this place she's never heard of. To marry some guy she's never seen. That's my option. Listen to his faith. Verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, 
who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying to your offspring, I'll give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son from there. So you see his faith? Isaac has got to get married so the promise can be fulfilled. But Abraham says, don't you get a wife from these Canaanite peoples. They're wicked. God has marked them for destruction. Don't you get him a wife from those people. Don't you take him back to my people. He wanted Isaac to have a wife who would value the promise enough to make the same faith risk Sarah made. And notice his confidence in God. He believed so much now in the promise that when the servant brought up a very reasonable objection. I'm not sure I can get a woman to come back here. He says, God will send his angel. See, Abraham had come to believe that the supernatural was behind God's promise. He saw it most of all in the birth of that own boy. God will do what God has to do. And even though you can't see it, there are unseen spiritual realities at work here. And the promise will be fulfilled. So again, we see Abraham in his last days living by his first priorities. And look at verse 67 of chapter 24, if we can get it. It says, they found the woman, Rebekah, the servant brought her back, that Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So you see, Abraham, even in his last days, facing his final test, still sees everything through the lens of the promise. It was through the lens of the promise that he buried his wife. It was through the lens of the promise that he married his son. And then finally, notice how he's mindful of the promise by carrying on. That Abraham did not stop living or loving. We have a very strange chapter now that tells the end of his life. Look at the first few verses of chapter 25. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letishites, the Lemuites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were descendants of Keturah. I said, why, again, why do we need to know all this? I'll show you in a second. And Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Now, I don't know if that bothers you a little bit that Abraham would marry again. Keturah did not replace Sarah in his heart. When he would die, he would be buried next to Sarah. But his second marriage indicates he didn't intend to stop living before he died. 
I'm just interested. How many of you here had a parent who had a second marriage after your father or your mother died? A number of us have. I've just gone through the experience myself. Last year, my father remarried. And I'll tell you, that was a strange experience. I really don't feel like I've got another mother. But my father has another wife. And she's a wonderful, wonderful person. But it's still different. And I was wrestling with it a little bit, getting used to the idea. And someone shared a thought with me that was helpful to me. They said, you know, Rick, your father marrying again is actually a tribute to your mother. Because he so loved life with her. He doesn't know how to do life any other way. And Margaret's not replacing your mother. In some ways, her presence is a tribute to her. And that's how I choose to see it. And I think that's what Abraham did. He didn't stop living before he died. And evidently, the progenitive powers that God restored so that he could father Isaac continued because Keturah bears him six more sons. And even this is the evidence of his faith. You say, why? Go back to chapter 17. When he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. You know what Abraham means? Father of nations. Not father of nation. Father of nations. He said, no longer will we be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. Now, if he's only the father of Isaac and Ishmael, he's not the father of many nations. But the fact is, he was the father of at least six more boys who had boys who became the father of nations. And so again, God kept the promise. (coughs) But he remembered the lesson of Ishmael. And when those boys were of age, he gave them gifts and he sent them away. They were his sons. But they weren't the son of promise. And only the child of promise should remain in the land of promise. And so to the very end, Abraham ordered his life around the faithfulness of God. And I got to tell you personally, there's something very inspiring about being in the presence of people who finish strong. I want to be one of those people. I have seen people that I admired for their walk in Christ for years, in their last years, become cynical, bitter, small people. I have seen preachers that I admired for years, in their last years, become judgmental and small-minded and critical. I do not want to be that person. I want to finish well. I want to be an encourager. I want to be a Barnabas. I want to help young people. I want to step outside my comfort zone a little bit. I want to be someone who is still filling somebody else's tank to the very end. That's one of the reasons I wear this bracelet a lot. It says finish strong. And it's a reminder every day that that's the person I want to be. Because here, let me tell you something. I've preached a lot of funerals. Most of the funerals I've preached are for older people. And here's what's the reality. 
If God gives you the grace to live 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years, most of us who come to your funeral are only going to remember the last 10. Most of the funerals I preach for older people, I didn't know. We didn't know them when they were 20 or 30 or 40. What we remember are the last years. We remember how you finished. And I want to be remembered well. I don't want to be remembered for my stuff. Because here's the thing. When it's all said and done, do you know how much stuff you're going to have when you die? A burial plot. Just like Abraham. That's all that's going to be yours when you're gone. It's a small piece of dirt. So don't be remembered for that. Be remembered for having the faith to finish. Because for the faithful, the finish is not the end. See, all his life he was a pilgrim. But now think it with me. If you're a pilgrim and you get to the end of your pilgrimage, what is the end of a pilgrimage? Not death. The end of a pilgrimage is home. When you get home, the pilgrimage is over. And so, notice how Scripture describes the end of his pilgrimage. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. And then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isn't that an interesting way To describe the end. Abraham is with his people. What's the writer talking about? He's talking about the great company of people who had the faith to finish. He's not talking about a field full of dead bones. Because later you remember that the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection are going to challenge Jesus. And what is Jesus going to say to prove the reality that Death is not the end. He's going to say in Matthew 22, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You see, the end is not death. The end is a banquet. And they will come from the east and west and they'll sit at the table with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and with Jesus. And so Tom Long, well-known professor of homiletics at Princeton Seminary, said in one of his books that he went back to a church where he had been a, a student pastor years before. And he saw a lady that he had known then, hadn't talked to her for years. And he asked how her father was because he had been a favorite of Tom's when he was a student pastor. And she explained that her father had recently passed away. And he expressed his sorrow. And then she said, oh, but let me tell you how he finished. My brother and I were at his bed just before he died. And, and my father's had come to the point where he could no longer speak. And if you remember dad, that was really hard because he loved to talk. But he could motion. And he motioned, he motioned to the bathroom. 
And finally, we figured he wants a glass of water. He's, go get him some water. So my brother went and got him some water. But when she brought it to the bed, dad wouldn't take it. He motioned for him to drink it. And so he took a sip of water. And then he motioned to give it to me. And then I realized, dad's serving communion. He wants us to have communion. And she drank it. And within the hour, he died. What an awesome way to finish. To be remembered. And so, I say to all of you, but especially to those of us who think it's time for summer to be over. Finish strong. Because somebody running behind you is watching so we're going to sing a song. It's actually a strange song to be so popular with college students because it's the only song I know that talks directly about it might be time for me to die. But that's what it talks about in a powerful, faith-filled way. We're going to sing it together. And as we sing it, if you would like to be baptized into Jesus tonight, I'd ask you to come forward and let me know as we stand up.